morning we continue our study through uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're wrapping up this, this chapter. We're going to be uh, tackling the, the subject, the topic of the rapture, the rapture. So let's begin by reading uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Father, may we be encouraged by these words. May we come to possess a full understanding of what comes after death. For the believer, no, death is not something to be dreaded. It's not something to fear. For it is but a doorway into your very presence. The Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, Lord, may we cling to that hope, for it is our blessed hope. May we look forward to it and anticipate it in such a way that it reflects the way we live our lives today. In response to that love that you first demonstrated to us, Lord, may we live these lives to your glory, with great hope, with great anticipation, Lord, with a, with a longing to see you in all of your glory. For you tell us in your word that we are secure in Christ. Our hope is a sure hope, and it is our blessed hope. And so it is with that thought that we come to you, asking, Father, that you would encourage us in our hearts, Father, wherever we are, whatever we're going through, Lord, may we cling to your promises, looking unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Have your way with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the end times, the tribulation period, the wrath of God poured out on the earth, martyrdom, All of those things always seem to catch the attention and the fascination of people all over the world and in all walks of life. Questions like, well, well, when will the earth come to an end? And who's the Antichrist? What are the signs of the end times and are we seeing those now? And I have to admit, keeping up with the times and events taking place in the Middle East, specifically as it pertains to Israel, is is pretty fascinating, isn't it? 
It's amazing. If you just, just pay close attention to what's going on. Read the Word of God and, you know, as it's been said, you know, open up the, the news and open up the Bible and put them right next to each other and, and you can see some pretty exciting things are happening right now. All of this absolutely grabs our attention. And even though there are many things going on throughout the world, things we are not to be ignorant about. They are not the things or people that the Bible says we should fix our eyes on. We should know. Even though there are many things going on, these things we ought to not be ignorant about. These are the things we should be informed about. For this is what we first started reading. It says in verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. And so this is not something to neglect. This is something to be up to date on, understand. It should impact our very lives. And at the same time, at the same time that we are to be in the know, these are at the same time not things that we should be fixated on. To know about and know it well, yes. Be encouraged by, yes. Encourage with, yes. Why? Because we know the time is even shorter. We're living in exciting times right now. You know, all, all the things that are happening around us should point us to the fact that Jesus' is coming is, is right around the corner. It's right here. It's upon us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So you notice there that even in those two verses, how it is that for us, we ought to run this race with endurance. But where is it that we are to fix our eyes? Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Sometimes when we look around us at the things that are happening throughout the world, we're not filled with peace. We're filled with anxiety. It's proven by how many people are on medication to take care of that anxiety. How many people are stressed out, worried, burdened, overwhelmed with the things of the world? There's such uncertainty. And yet the Lord tells us even now in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And in Christ we have overcome the world with him. Therefore we have that hope, we have that peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Philippians 3.14, the Apostle Paul writes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the Bible states very clearly that we are to encourage one another with this very thing. Isn't that awesome? Encourage each other personally in between one another, but also as a church. Encourage one another with the truth that we have before us. The message before us is one of great encouragement and great anticipation and great hope. You want to look forward to something. Look forward to this. Look forward to the moment where our feet lift off the ground. Look forward to that. Look forward to the moment you are absent from the body and present with the Lord. Look forward to that. To Timothy, the Apostle Paul describes the godlessness of the last days. But they were encouraged to remember what they had been taught in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10-13. through 13. He says, remember what you've been taught. And then in verses 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, he writes, But as for you, like all these things, all this godlessness that is happening at the time, he describes it, he defines it, he lays it all out. But he says in verse 14, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue in that. In the midst of all of the darkness, continue in that. As fascinating as the end times are, nothing compares to the glory that awaits us. And that should compel us to live lives today with the fullness of the life that God has given us in Christ by grace through faith in him. I was just talking to someone the other day and talking about how it is that because we have eternity before us in Christ, we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by any works that we have done, not with anything that we've earned it with because we haven't. We'd always fall short For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one is what the Bible tells us. And so because of the love that we've first been demonstrated to us, we should live this life to its utmost. We should be passionate about this life, knowing that it is to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what we are to do. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly, right? And our abundance is found in Christ. And it's for that reason that us as Christians should be fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we should be the ones that live with the most hope out of the whole world. We have the greatest hope. We have the greatest purpose in life. You should let your faces know. You should let your circumstances know. You should let the world around you know. Three things. Remember our blessed hope. Number two, expect the rapture. Expect it. Number three, encourage one another. Just those simple three things is what we have before us. 
Remember our blessed hope. Verse 13 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as, as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The Lord didn't want you to be uninformed about this. The church in Thessalonica was not continue on with ignorance, with not knowing about this. And there are many things that God does not want you to be uninformed about. As Christians, we ought to be given to the Word of God, to the study of the Word of God, to meditating on the Word of God, to living the Word of God with full knowledge. If we do it without knowledge, we don't know what we're actually doing to bless and glorify the Lord. We're just kind of winging it, right? And you can't do it that way. You ought to have full knowledge of what God has before us, the blessings and also the promises, the warnings and the path that we ought to take. But there are many things that God doesn't want us to be uninformed about. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And this is, with your, this is a strong encouragement for you to read and study the scriptures. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete. Come into a place of maturity in Christ. Equipped, ready. What tools do you need to be a Christian who is walking uprightly before the Lord? Well, you'll find all of the tools have been supplied for you to be successful in this manual called the Bible. It's all there. Just read it. Man, I know that, you know, we want to do things without reading the instructions. But we can't do it. We get into trouble, don't we? It's like, oh, there's some things that are extra here. I wonder where they go. No, all scriptures read out by God. It's, it's his very breath. It's profitable for these things. So read it, study it, meditate on it. God doesn't want, doesn't want us to be ignorant of the purpose of life. Philippians 3, 10 and 11. You, you want to know why you're here, why you exist? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It, we, we want to know that, Right? The power of his resurrection. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, his poema, oh, his, his beautiful work of art. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what, what are we here on earth for? Oh, to know him and to bless and glorify him. Looking forward to that day in which we were in all of his glory. Other things that we are to be in the know about. Spiritual, spiritual gifts. How to treat others. How to confront sin. How to endure suffering and trials. What salvation is and how to obtain it. Um, and what the end times will be like. 
what to avoid. And of these things, God does not want you to be uninformed. Also the rapture. That's the very thing. Now, sleep is what's addressed here. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Uh, sleep was a term commonly used by the ancient, in the ancient world by the ancient writers, speaking of the death of a believer. This is emphasized, this, this is actually an, an idea that is emphasized that death for a believer is actually rest. Death for an unbeliever is not rest, and it's not described in that mat- matter, manner. But death for the believer is rest. When you and I go to sleep at night, it's the idea of getting rest, right? And so as, as a believer dies, it, this is how it's described. Oh, he's found rest. The Bible doesn't speak of uh, what we've come to know. I don't know if you've heard about this, but soul sleep. Have you heard of soul sleep? Yeah, like, a, like being unconscious. You know, it's like for us being asleep, and I'm unaware. Were you aware of what you were doing when you were sleeping? Were you aware of yourself when you were sleeping? No? You slept last night, right? You're good? Okay. Some, some don't sleep. <laughs> insomnia and you're up you know every hour more right but no when you're asleep you're not you're not conscious conscious you're 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 unaware and so there's this term soul sleep which is the idea that the dead in christ are in a state of unconsciousness until the rapture but second corinthians 5 8 and i'll and i'll give you a few verses here second corinthians 5 8 says yes we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the lord away from the body and at home with the lord uh, philippians 121 says for to me to live is christ and to die is gain gain uh, philippians 123 just a couple verses from that i am hard pressed between the two my desires to depart and be with christ for that is far better Far better. That's why whenever I meet with someone who has lost a loved one in Christ, I can tell them, the Bible tells us, that when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. Even King David, when he lost his son, said, my son cannot come to me, but one day I will be where he is. The Apostle Paul would not be referring to being absent from the body as better and with the Lord if he was referring to soul sleep. No, soul sleep is unbiblical. One day we will know just as we are known, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. One day we will know just as we are known. Therefore, knowing this, our grieving as Christians is to look a little different than the grieving of those who have no hope. We still grieve. We are still torn. And at the same time, we have this hope. It is this assurance. It is with knowledge. One day, you can with complete confidence say, one day, I will see that person again. 
Because I will, I will be where he is, where she is. In the glory of God. If you're not a Christian, you can't say that. You can't. I hope. I really do hope. And I, I don't know. Who can know? Well, the Bible tells us that we can know. That we can be assured of our salvation. It's by our very lives and how distinct these lives are in Christ. Our new desires, our new hearts, our new passion. And so for the, for the Christian to lose uh, loved ones in Christ, oh, we don't grieve as those who have no hope grieve. And we're about to learn what happens to those who die in Christ before the rapture. And what we are learning is that since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, can we say that, church? Since we believe, right? Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that, right? We affirm that, we confirm that, we declare it, we proclaim it to the the whole world, right? And therefore, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will rise to meet Jesus in the air at the moment of the rapture, the snatching away. They won't miss out. And perhaps this was a question that the church in Thessalonica had. Oh, well, what about those who have fallen asleep in Christ before us? What will happen to them? Oh, it's right here. Let me explain it to you. As I've received it, so I will give it to you. They won't miss out on the rapture. In fact, they will be the first to meet the Lord in the air. They will be first to partake of it before those who are still here on earth. Either way, the resurrection of the dead in Christ is promised and sure. Therefore, when you see someone who dies as a Christian, as a believer, it is not a final farewell. It's not. But only a parting for the moment. For there will come a time when you will be reunited in Christ and to His glory for all eternity. Does it break our hearts? Absolutely. But just know that they are with the Lord. And one day you will be there with them before the Lord for all eternity. So as Christians, we do not grieve for those in Christ who die as people who have no hope. Because we are a people with eternal hope in Christ because of his grace. So number one, do not be ignorant. Do not be uninformed about this. Remember our blessed hope. Number one, just remember our blessed hope. Number two, expect the rapture. Verse 15 says, For as we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Expect the rapture. I mean, did you listen to the confidence in the words that the Apostle Paul penned here? 
a declaration. It's a very word of God. So this, this comes by word from the Lord. It's not, well, th- this was my opinion. This is my opinion. It's, it's not. It's Scripture. This was not something that Paul hoped would be true. I sure do hope this is true. And I just want to maybe encourage you with this. Mm, I wasn't like that. It was a word from the Lord. He was simply declaring that which he knew was true because it came from the Lord himself. Is the rapture true? Well, the world will debate that. And In fact, I read many comments in regards to perhaps, um, you know, it was, it's a fairy tale. It's, uh, you know, something to, to be wished upon. And, you know, they're delusional and so on and so forth. You, you, know, you know the opinions of the world, right? Is the rapture true? Yes. How do you know? Has God's word ever not been true? And if so, I would challenge you. And I will challenge you with utmost confidence. Prove it. Prove it. Please show me in somewhere in the word prophecy that has been fulfilled up to this point that it hasn't come about exactly how God said it would come out. Show me. You just have to show me one. God said it was going to happen and there's nothing that hasn't been true that God has said is true. And there's a lot of historical evidence by extra biblical scholars that point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ the fact of the facts surrounding the Bible point to, I mean, just so much. It's true. Because God said so, it's true. When I say because God said so, it's not this, um, this kind of empty faith, this, this kind of like empty hope. It's kind of vain, wishful thinking. It's not that. It's with complete knowledge that God has been true, is true, and will always be true. And Paul was speaking of a specific event, the event of the rapture, of the, the snatching away of the church, of the taking up of the church. So in verse 14, Paul wants us to be informed that those who have died in Christ will actually be caught up with him in the clouds before those who are alive, walking the earth in that very moment. Speaking of living with expectation, right? when Paul said we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. That's interesting, isn't it? Did he mean that he expected this as well? Did he live with that kind of expectation? I I thought he knew that he was going to suffer much for the Lord. And and even remember that his whole goal was to get to Rome? Those are all things that we ought to consider. And yet here's a man who lived with this kind of expectation. Did he not know that perhaps the time wasn't the tribulation? 
And yet, why did he live with such expectation? Let me ask you this. From what you know of Paul's life, did he exemplify a life of expectancy or a life that did not expect the return of Christ? It, isn't it, like, obvious? He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It, I mean, you can go through the, uh, the book of Acts. You can go through all of his letters. And it's quite obvious that the man lived his life with an expectancy of seeing the Lord at any moment, and he lived his life to the glory of God. You see it. It's written for us, for our encouragement, to us to imitate that kind of faith. So that's why, you know, we need to think about if he knew that he had to go to Rome and suffer much for the sake of Christ, but his life was always an example of readiness. And when God determined the race had ended and the fight was over. He wanted to be ready to make sure he finished well and was ready. At this very moment. We too, if this is a fact for Paul, for Peter, for John, for James, and for all of them, it should be reflected in our lives as well. We too ought to live our lives ready to meet the Lord at any given moment because we do not know when our lives are expected of us. We're not promised tomorrow. Folks, I I know when we're young, we believe, we really do believe, that we are indestructible and we will live forever. But that is not true. Because the, the latest statistics that I read on is that 100% of us will die at some point. We will. I know of high school students that have died. I just had to meet with uh, parents on early Saturday morning, yesterday morning, about 4.30 in the morning. Because their baby didn't make it. I've done funerals for people that have died for all different reasons, all different ages. Tomorrow's not promised to anyone. We're not promised this afternoon, folks. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sound doom and gloom. I'm telling you, be ready. Just be ready. Live life, life this life to its fullest all the way to the end. The Apostle Paul was doing that. That's a reflection of a life. That's an example of a life that we ought to be living ourselves. We should be excited about this life until the the moment we go home to be with the Lord. But be ready. Are you ready? If you're not ready, then may today be the day of salvation. For those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray, oh, I hope. My, My... my most fervent desire right now is for you to know how much God loves you, how much he demonstrated that love toward you, and that while you were still sinners, and while we were still sinners, all of us, Christ died for us. He died in your place to pay for your sins, past, present, and future, and to secure for you a place with him in all of his glory for all eternity. Please know that. We ought to live lives that are ready to meet the Lord at any given time. The point of this is to live life with expectation and knowing that Jesus' return for his bride, the church, and the rapture will happen in this manner. So that's the thing. Be informed. This is how it's going to happen. Notice that at this point, 
He wasn't saying at, at what point, but just this is how it's going to happen. This is it right here. Number one, the dead in Christ will rise first to meet Jesus in the clouds, and then those who are alive will rise after them to meet the Lord in the air, and so uh, we'll always, we will always be with the Lord. It won't be a secret or that noticing. It's like, oh, I came home and there were just like empty clothes on the floor. It won't happen like that. As much as we want it, you know, to be like that, and, and I know that left the Left Behind series, you know, it's like, oh, empty clothes, you know, and, and weird things like that. But it won't be a secret. I, I don't imagine a, the, a cry of command that comes with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God is quiet. It's not. As many of you know, I, I served our military. I served in the Navy. And when an officer comes into the presence of enlisted, and we were all seated, there's something that someone needs to yell out as soon as he sees the officer. Attention on deck! And all the enlisted are to immediately get up. And you hear, oh, chairs just flying. Boom, you know. <laughs> and all the enlisted are at attention. It's not quite, it's not secret. It's like, ah, I wonder why he's standing up. No. We're supposed to declare to everyone, you know, just yell attention on deck and everyone says, it's no secret. There are certain bugle and Boatswain's calls that signal assembly, colors, taps, tattoo. Tattoo means to use your quiet voices, to turn off lights. First call, carry on, mess call, church call, and many others. And there is nothing quiet about these calls. They are distinct, they are clear, and they are loud. So all can hear. So all will be without excuse. Oh, it came. It came over the, the 1MC. It came over. You heard it. You heard it throughout the ship. There's no place you didn't hear it. God's call for the rapture will be distinct. It will be clear. And it will be loud. At that point, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive and left here on earth will follow and will be with the Lord. As it says here, as we just read, always. Always, always. Always means Always. And when the Bible says it's always, it's always. Always we will be with the Lord. Notice that Jesus is not described as touching down on the earth at any place. He didn't touch down on the Mount of Olives at that time, but that we, the church, were caught up in the air to meet him in the air. Caught up is rapture, which comes from the Latin Vulgate translation, translation of the Greek. And so that's where we get our word Rapture. And there's nothing figurative about this statement. Uh, it's a literal liftoff. And this is not referring to Jesus' second coming, but th- this, is, this is the rapture of the church. It's a separate event that will happen after this event that is his second coming when he will touch down on the Mount of Olives. Oh, looking forward to that moment too. 
When will the rapture happen? I'm about to answer that for you this morning. <laughs> for those of you that know, this has been debated among Christians and will continue to be deba- debated among Christians. Is it before the Battle of Armageddon, Jesus' triumphal return? Yeah. But before that is, there's this seven-year tribulation period that is referenced in Matthew 24. So when will the rapture actually happen? I want to know, right? Is it pre-trib? Pre-tribulation. That's the belief. I'll just lay them out for you. It's a belief that the rapture will happen before the tribulation period. We know that in there, there's going to come peace for the first three and a half years, and then the abomination of desolation will happen in the middle of it, and then we'll have three and a half years of wrath, right? Well, yeah, that's described very clearly in the Bible. So it'll happen before that? That's, that's pre-trib. Uh, mid-trib. Belief that the rapture will take place somewhere in the middle of the tribulation period. It's just kind of generic. Just some, somewhere in the middle, somewhere in there. And then there's mid-trib pre-wrath. That means it'll happen in the middle, but before the wrath. You know, the church will see the, the time of peace, but it's before the actual wrath takes place. And then there's post-trib, belief that the rapture will take place at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, so saying the church will go through the tribulation period and will experience everything. Whatever position you hold does not constitute a difference that justifies dividing as Christians. Okay? Where I stand, and if you want to know where I stand, you want to know where I stand? Pre-trip. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 1.10 uh, says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, you know, and there's, I made a note um, on there, and I made it a long time ago. But then you point um, to another scripture, which I'm going to touch on in a, in a moment here. But what they were encouraged to expect is the return of Christ not the imminent arrival of the Great Tribulation. It was described. Remember that. It's described, but that's not what they were, they were waiting for. Their hope was being delivered from the wrath to come and to Jesus who will come for them. Here in what we've just covered, Paul was communicating hope to those alive and an understanding of the resurrection of those who had died in Christ. That's what he was expressing to them. That's what he was communicating to them, his hope. Paul didn't tell them that those who were dead in Christ were better off because they would avoid experiencing the great tribulation. He didn't, he didn't say that. And so along with verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, we have chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that will continue to be deba- debated. And that should... That should be something that, you see, whenever we come across this kind of a topic, it should drive us to the word. It should drive us to the word. We should examine it, see what the word tells us. But again, remain and read it with your eyes fixed on the Lord, awaiting his imminent return, awaiting that moment when you come face to face with him. Because that, my friends, can come at any given moment.
expect that. So whether you believe the rapture will take pre, mid, or post-tribulation, the question is whether you are living with the expectation of meeting the Lord at any given moment. That's really the question that we ought to be answering ourselves today, right now. Don't be looking for the face of the Antichrist when you should be looking for and expecting the face of Christ. Isn't there a lot of speculation? There, there is. Oh, man, I mean, there are some ministries that get all wrapped up in, well, you know, these things are coming together. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate some of that. But quite frankly, that's not the work of the church. The work of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, to evangelize, to disciple. After all, what was the Great Commission? Is to teach all these things, to teach them to observe the commandments of God, right? To know, to live for Christ. I just, we just got done talking about the purpose of life, right? Earlier, to bring glory to God. And so we ought to be looking for the face of Christ. At one, at one moment, we will see him in all of his glory. Paul encouraged the expectation of the rapture and the truth of what will take place with the dead in Christ and those who are on earth at that moment. So, church, cheer up. Cheer up. Cheer up, because we're going up. We're we're going up. One way or another, we're going up. Right? It's a win-win for the Christian. That's what we ought to come to, to that place to where it's, you know what, no matter what, No matter what, it's a win-win for us. That's what I want you to walk away with with this this morning. It's it's a win-win for the Christian. And point three is a brief one. It's verse 18. It says, therefore, because of all of this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. These words. It's a word of encouragement. I see it as something simple and profound. A truth I believe and cling to and look forward to experiencing. No one but the unbeliever will experience this moment with horror and eternal regret. But for the believer, uh, you should be looking forward to it with great expectation. With a great hope. For the believer, this is encouraging. As we encourage others with this truth, we will be encouraged. I'm encouraged by just... Laying it all out and thinking, man, I'm so looking forward to that moment. So looking forward to that moment. When we too, can you imagine uh, just that moment? The voice of an archangel, uh, the trumpet of God sounds, the command of heaven. The heavens open up, Jesus comes. And you see the dead rising. And then, then our feet lift off the ground. Be encouraged. Remember our blessed hope. Expect the rapture. Encourage one another with these things. Our blessed hope. I thought of Titus chapter 2, verse 11, which says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Our blessed hope. I'll close with this thought. Even if the rapture doesn't happen today, or perhaps not even tomorrow, I asked the question earlier, what if your life was required of you today or tomorrow? The question for us is, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. I want to bring more into that place of readiness. Today, if you're, if you're sitting here this, this moment, we've just gone through and talked about the rapture. I hope you've learned a little bit more about it. I hope you're encouraged by it. But if you're here today and you don't know, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. How are you saved? Nothing by what you can do or have done or will do. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God who came to die in your place, who died, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave? Do you believe today that he sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on behalf of you and me? Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that sincerely? Because the Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We confess with our mouths that which is true in our hearts. Do you believe that? Because today you could know salvation. Today you could be a new creature in Christ with new desires, a new passion, a new hope. Completely. Something that happened to me some years ago can be the same thing that happens to you this morning. And so I pray. I'm going to pray for you right now. And if that's you, then, then just, just do this out of a sincerity of belief, you ask God for forgiveness and you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. From there, just be reassured that we as a church will rally around you, will come next to you, come alongside you, and will help you in your walk with the Lord, understanding the truths of God's word and the hope that lies before you. We will rejoice with the angels in heaven as they do over one sinner that comes to repentance. We will come alongside you. But if you just do that, confess your sins and ask the Lord Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That right there, the simplicity of that prayer, with all sincerity, will bring you to a place of knowing salvation in Christ. And you will know that because you'll have a whole new heart, all new desires. I pray that that's you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation. For it is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we are saved. I pray, Lord, that we as a church would be encouraged by what we have come to be reminded of this morning. Lord, the hope that we have in Christ of one day being in his presence forever. And so it is with that that we ought to have hope now. Live our lives with great expectancy. And live lives that glorify you. We thank you for your love and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name.